0: Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I'm Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. The Gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he, that is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God but the leader of the synagogue indignant because jesus had cured her on the sabbath kept saying to the crowd there are 6 days on which work ought to be done come on those days and be cured and not on the sabbath day but the lord answered him and said you hypocrites do not each of you on the sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it and lead it away to give it water and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from bondage on, this, on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing." In the fall of 1983, I was a freshman at Caltech in Pasadena, California. And it was a rough time for me. I had lots and lots of homework. It was my first year of college. I had far more homework than I could imagine, and I was pulling a lot of all-nighters. Most I had six-day weeks. Thursday and Friday together made one day, Uh, because I was up all Thursday night doing homework sets. And that year uh, in November, the Army-Navy game was held in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl Stadium. And one of my best friends from high school, his name was Paul, uh, was going to the Naval Academy. and. He, managed, he, he had come to Pasadena to attend the, the uh, Army-Navy game. I think they shipped all of the, the Navy uh, uh, midis there for the game. And he managed to get leave, to get leave and come and see me on the Caltech campus. And we spent about an hour together talking about how our lives had changed since we were in college and how our lives were different from each other. To me, his life sounded terrible. I wore shorts and a t-shirt to class. He had to wear a uniform. If anything was out of place, he got a demerit. The upperclassmen harassed him. He had to do push-ups when something did wrong. When something went wrong. He had inspections. It sounded like a nightmare to me. I thought I had a rough time in college with a lot of homework. His sounded awful to me. And then he told me about one policy that they had at the Naval Academy. And for the first time, I felt a little bit jealous of my friend. They had a policy that at 11 p.m., lights were out. For every midshipman, they all had to put down their books, turn out the lights, quit studying, and go to sleep. They were forced to take a rest. Now, to my sleep-deprived self, that sounded really, really good. All the rest, I could have done without. I'm glad I didn't, didn't go to the Naval Academy. I wouldn't have made it very long. But to, to me, that sounded very nice. He was forced to take a rest. That's what a Sabbath is. Being forced, being, being mandatory to take a rest. And if some of you have gone to Moon Beach Camp, there's this wonderful time every day for one hour called FOB time or flat on your back time where the staff has to, to take care of the camp, but you have to take a nap at 1 o'clock every day in camp. And boy, is that wonderful. Now for the Hebrews who had been slaves in Egypt, I'm guessing, I don't, the Bible doesn't really tell us, but I'm guessing they didn't get a lot of days off. And so let me remind you of what happened in the Old Testament that Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt Uh, into the desert, Moses went up, Mount Sinai came back down with the Ten Commandments, and one of them was that every seventh day you take a rest. That was the Sabbath. You had to take a rest. That was a day dedicated to the Lord, but also a day to recuperate, to rest. Mandatory rest time. No one could take that away. Your employer couldn't take it away. The religious leaders couldn't take it away. That was a pretty good commandment, especially if you had been slaves somewhere else. Now, if you read the law, if you read Leviticus or read some, some of the commandments are pretty burdensome. This was not a burdensome commandment. This was a blessing to the people, to be forced to take a rest And I wanted to give the idea of just how important this commandment was, how important the Sabbath was to the Jewish people by rereading that last paragraph that Deb just read from Isaiah. It says New Testament lesson. I've got a typo in the bulletin, but the Old Testament lesson from Isaiah. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." I can't hear that and not think this was something very, very important. To work on the Sabbath was disrespectful to God. It was also disrespectful to other people. Imagine you're a farmer and some other farmer forgets about the Sabbath and starts working. All of a sudden, he's working seven days a week and you're working six, and he's producing more, and you have to do that to compete. The Sabbath system works only if everyone takes the Sabbath. And so there was a lot of pressure to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was religious law. It was national tradition. It reminded the people what it was like to be slaves. And it was a social necessity. So this was not a minor thing. Now in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus breaks the Sabbath. And let's not finesse it. Jesus breaks the law. There's not a a night we can try to weasel word our way around it, and he bends it or reinterprets. it. He breaks it pretty openly. He does it by healing a woman on the Sabbath. And he gets chewed out by the head of the synagogue. He's preaching in a synagogue, and he gets chewed out by the head of the synagogue. Now, to us, that seems perfectly reasonable that we would heal someone and make that a more important thing than keeping the Sabbath. But remember how important it was to those people. And this was a very radical thing for Jesus to do. Because the law was flexible. Might not seem that way to us now, but the law was flexible and Jesus wasn't. Let me explain. The Sabbath had exceptions. You could take your cattle or your donkey or your oxen and lead them to water. They needed water every day, so there was an exception made. It was something important. You needed to keep your cattle alive, treat them well, so you were allowed to water your cattle, like it's mentioned in the scripture passage. You could also save a life on the Sabbath. The leader wasn't upset that Jesus healed the woman. The leader was upset that he healed the woman on the Sabbath. She had been crippled for 18 years, would one day matter? Could Jesus have waited one day, kept that Sabbath going? It's not about healing the woman or not healing the woman. It's about healing this woman that had been sick for 18 years during the Sabbath, or waiting until sun, Sabbath ended at sundown, waiting until sundown to heal her. Maybe it was only a few hours, we don't know. So that's why the leader that makes the, the, the leader of the synagogue seem a little bit more reasonable. He's not saying, don't heal the woman. He's saying, can't you wait a day? It's been 18 years. Now, if she had just collapsed in the middle of a service, he probably would have come over. The leader of the synagogue probably would have helped her himself. That was something you could do. But this wasn't a crisis situation. She wouldn't be any different tomorrow than she was the previous day. If it had been an emergency, the law would have allowed that healing to take place. So you can, see, you can imagine the leader of the synagogue saying, would it matter? Could you wait one more day, Jesus? Can you keep the Sabbath? This is an important thing. This is recognizing God. Can you wait one more day? And Jesus would have answered back, no. Or maybe he would have answered back, no. I don't know. But for Jesus' compassion... Even a little bit of compassion, even saving this woman from one day of agony, even though she'd had it for 18 years, was more important to him than keeping the law. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 5, and I'll I'll mention some of you may be familiar with the old King James version on this one, Jesus said, I have not come to change a jot or a tittle of the law. He wasn't going to change a bit. if you follow his actions, Jesus and his disciples broke the law pretty regularly, and they bent the law pretty regularly and reinterpreted the law, but always when compassion mattered. I'm going to take a little detour here and, and talk about why we have laws, at least ideally. Why do we have laws? And, Trust me, I'm going to get back and make this relevant, I hope. Uh, first, I'm going to look and ask, why do we do good things? Why would we do a good deed? And there are several reasons, and philosophers you know, look up ethics on the, on, the, on the web, and you'll find reams and reams of, of, uh, uh, of papers written about, uh, about the philosophy of ethics. But one of the reasons is self-interest. We do good things because it helps us. If I give back this wallet I found, everyone will think I'm a great guy and I might get a cash reward too. I'm thinking about me. Now there's a nicer form of self-interest. If I give back that wallet that I found, I'll feel really good inside. Now there, I'm, I'm, I'm helping the person out by returning the wallet. I'm not taking any of the money out. But who am I thinking about? I'm still thinking about, I'll feel really good inside. Now maybe it's a little bit better because maybe I'm feeling good inside because I'm also thinking whoever's wallet it is going to be happy. And so maybe there is some, some thinking of others in there as well. But there's a lot of self-interest going on there. And there are negative forms of self-interest. If I don't give back that wallet, somebody might find out and think I'm a rotten person. Or little bit nicer negative form if I don't give that wallet back I'll feel guilty and I won't sleep well at night in all of those situations I'm thinking about me whenever we talk about rewards and punishments we're looking at is it going to help me or hurt me we're weighing the pluses and minuses and it's it's pretty much an economic transaction so self-interest is one of the reasons we do things it helps us. Another reason you'll find is the idea of duty or responsibility or obligation. We've made a promise, or because of our position, we have, to, we, have to, uh, we have to do something. I don't feel like taking my kids to the zoo, but I promised. We've taken an obligation on ourselves. Or it's my duty as a parent to take them to the zoo sometime. And there can be cases where there, where you can't even check up on you. For example, uh, I promised my son I wouldn't go into his room while he's gone, while I'm gone, no, while he's gone. That makes sense. Nobody's going to know, but I've promised. I have a responsibility. And a lot of times, I'll admit it. I think of my keeping my pledge up to date, and I think I have a responsibility to the church. I made a pledge. I've got to keep my pledge up to date. Now, we would like in the church for everyone to think, I really love this church, I want to help, I'm gonna make sure my pledge is up to date. But sometimes that isn't the foremost thought in our minds. Sometimes we're not acting out of love, sometimes we're acting out of responsibility. So those are two reasons. But there's a third reason, uh, and that is that we act out of compassion or empathy or love, those are all pretty much the same idea. And, and that's if we're talking about dealing with one or two other people, or a small group of people. If we're dealing with a lot of people, the term we would use is justice. We're thinking about justice. When we, it's hard to talk about loving everyone at once, so we use the term justice. And I think that's the way Jesus acted. And the difference is, it's thinking about things from the point of view of others. You're not thinking about yourself. You're putting yourself in others' shoes and you're you're viewing it from their perspective. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus leaves the crowds to be alone. This happens right after John the Baptist was executed. And Jesus is feeling miserable. John the Baptist had been his forerunner. And... He got executed and Jesus wants to be alone and he heads out into the wilderness to be away from people, to pray, probably to cry, but the crowds follow him. He can't get away from them. Wherever he goes, they appear. And if I were Jesus, I'd be pretty annoyed. You know, your, your good friend is dead. You want to mourn and the crowds come. But what Matthew writes is he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He stops, and it's not in his self-interest, it's not, in, it's not out of an obligation, it's because he sees from their point of view. He has compassion on them, he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. You've probably guessed by now that I think of those three, self-interest, responsibility, and love, or compassion, that I think the last one is the better, of, the best of those, uh, and usually if Jesus does something, it's usually the best. Um, that's a pretty good rule of thumb when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're looking for an example and to know, to know how, to, how to act. Uh, what would Jesus do? I know it's a cliche now and everybody wears it on a little bracelet, but, uh, um, but what would Jesus do? Jesus acted out of compassion. So we do good deeds for at least three reasons. There are probably a lot more. And, and we're complicated people. We probably don't know. It's hard to look and say, I acted out of self-interest or responsibility or love, because it's a combination of all of those. But we should look at ourselves and ask, why are we doing things? And try and strive to act out of love. It's not easy. We're really programmed well to act out in our own self-interest. And I want to put a caution in here. Acting out of your self-interest isn't a bad thing. If you do a good deed, it's better than not doing a good deed at all, even if you do it for your own self-interest. It's better you return that wallet than you didn't. And we make use of self-interest all the time. Think of how we treat children. We give them rewards. Clean your room and you can have ice cream. It's kind of a bribe, isn't it? You know, a, a reward and a bribe are pretty close. Uh, but we'd all think that's a pretty reasonable thing to do. Or sometimes we use punishments. Clean your room or no video games for a week. In both of those cases, we're, at, we're, we're counting on the self-interest of the, the child acting in his or her own self-interest. Now, we hope that they're going to get away from this. We hope that someday they'll clean their room without having a threat or without having a a carrot out in front of a reward. Uh, But rewards and punishments keep society moving. Think about driving on the highway. You may want to drive really fast really, really fast, so that you're endangering other people. But you have a fear of a ticket. So you drive at a more reasonable speed that's safer for everyone. There is a case of you acting in your self-interest. You don't want that ticket. Even Jesus uses rewards. Remember this passage from Matthew? Whoever gives even a cup of cold water, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. So it's not a bad thing to do a good deed based on your self-interest. It's just that love is a better way if you can. Now, duty is not always bad either. Acting, doing good deeds out of responsibility, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not in the the self-interest of a firefighter to run into a burning building. I think that'd be kind of opposed to their (laughs) self-interest. They do it because it's their duty. They don't have time to sit and ponder and wonder, is there someone in there? Do I love that person that's in there? Oh, but do I love my family more? They don't have time for a philosophical debate. They need to run into that burning building and see if someone's in there or not. Now, that firefighter probably did do a great act of love, but the act of love happened earlier. The act of love happened when they decided to become a firefighter and said, I will take I will put myself in danger if it's needed. But when it comes to that time, that instant, they're probably acting on duty. They're going to act very, very quickly. They don't have time to think. So why am I talking about self-interest and duty? Because that's the way laws work. You pay your taxes out of a sense of duty as a citizen. Maybe. If you don't, you probably pay your taxes out of fear that you're going to get a fine. Self-interest. So it's either out of duty or self-interest. I Maybe I, I don't, so maybe some of you are better people than I do and you pay your taxes out of love, but I'm really kind of doubting that. Most of us are sitting there uh, thinking how wonderful and compassionate it is to pay your taxes. But you can see that th- that's why we, we have laws. Laws appeal to a sense of duty or to self-interest. Laws aren't bad. The law, the religious law of Jesus' day wasn't bad. In fact, Jesus affirms the basic goodness of the law. He says, he summarizes the law. It's to love God and love your neighbor. That's why there's that law. So sometimes we're not perfect. We're weak. We're not going to act out of love all the time. So laws are kind of a backup. That self-interest that, uh, that duty, those are things that can help us get through when we can't act in love all the time. But acting in love is better, and that's what we as Christians should strive to do. And according to Jesus, even a little bit of compassion, healing a woman who's been ill for 18 years one day earlier justifies breaking the law. And that wasn't a bad law. It's not like the Sabbath was an unjust law. I hope I've made the case that this was a good thing. The Sabbath was something that really helped the people. There are unjust laws out there, but I don't think that was one of them. Nevertheless, Jesus breaks that law because of compassion. Love is a higher authority than law. Now, acting out of love isn't easy. Our society values self reliance. Got that rugged individualism. Love makes you dependent, not self reliant. Our society values self defense. Love makes you vulnerable. Our whole society is built on self interest and competition. If you look at our economic system, there's competition built in there. If you look at our educational system, it's competitive. It's counting on you acting in your self-interest to get those better grades. Our legal system is competitive. It relies on self-interest that you're going to get a lawyer to make the best case on your behalf. Our society doesn't value love and compassion very much, at least not in its institutions, except maybe, and I hope, in the church. Acting out of love gives us a lot of freedom and authority. We can break rules and that's scary. That's a scary amount of authority. We might prefer to have a few clear rules that just tell us what to do. I'm thinking when I had all that freedom in college compared to my friend, I had lots of freedom. I had the freedom to stay up till all night doing homework assignments and my friend didn't have that freedom and he got sleep. So sometimes freedom is scary. But we are called to act out of love, even if it means breaking laws, even if it means breaking religious traditions and religious teachings, even if it means breaking social customs. I just watched a documentary this week on the Greensboro Four. I don't know if you're familiar with the Greensboro Four Uh, but maybe if I tell you a little about it, it might jog your memory. Um, Some of you may remember this. I I was not born yet. But in February of 1960, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, four African-American men, young men, they were were college students, were upset about segregation in their town, and they staged a nonviolent sit-in at a Woolworth lunch counter. And they just came in, and they sat at the counter, and asked to be served. Now, that had happened in other places in the South, and men were beaten. They were arrested. They were jailed. This was against the law then. Some of them were dragged off and lynched, or beaten and killed. So they were doing a great, taking a great risk. They risked jail. They risked beatings. They risked death because they wanted a more just society, Now, there's some self-interest there. They were caring about themselves, but they were also concerned about every other person who couldn't sit down at that lunch counter. They were concerned about future generations and their children. They were taking risks for justice. And when we act out of love or compassion or justice, we will often take risks because that's usually not the way our society works. We must take risks. Now, I don't mean that we should carelessly or casually or stupidly just go out and break laws because we can. This is something we should do when love or compassion or justice requires it, and only when love or compassion or justice requires it. Jesus didn't go out just trying to pick fights. He kind of did in this case, but he did it for compassion. But he didn't go out trying to pick fights for the sake of picking fights. Let's put it that way. So only, we only want to break laws or rules or challenge things when love requires it. But if love requires it, we should be bold. So strive to love. Learn to act on that love. Love Jesus. Love God. Love your neighbor. And according to Jesus, that's everyone. That's the real point behind the law. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.